When it comes to the Internet of Things, some of us dream about how the future will depend on technology like the metaverse and smart cities, or even interplanetary economies and how they will function. Today, we will find out more about a project working on Web3 technologies, CK rollups, masternodes, merge mining, and a new kind of DAO that provides governance-free treasury management and self-sovereignty for all participants. In episode one of Verify Crypto, we take a deep dive into the project called Syscoin. and welcome to Verify Crypto. Today we are introducing the project Syscoin and I have a special guest with me by the name of Jag. Jag, how are you doing today? Hey Derek, how are you doing? Good. Going well. Good, thank you for asking. I guess my first question for you is, what is your role at Syscoin? I'm the president of the foundation and the lead core developer. Awesome. When did you decide to get started in cryptocurrency? kind of always been in and around the space since around the beginning. The view of Bitcoin being a medium of um, transactions wasn't really that appealing. It was more about being a, a settlement layer or court system for you know, the digital gold narrative. And I felt like there needs to be there for other systems to plug in, possibly through merge mining that would allow us to some really strong business cases that would help change the world. So came up with a few things like digital identity and marketplaces. I think the marketplace idea was tried early on in, in the Bitcoin core, but it was removed because it was just way too early. That it was complicating the, the, the simple narrative. I probably would have to introduce new opcodes to make that sort of thing happen. So that, that was removed. But we focused on the basics of you know, you have an identity, you might have some asset, you might have some simple bartering offers of, of things you want to buy or sell from somebody else and escrow built in. And then we kind of streamline into, even with our innovative ways to prune information off the chain, still felt it was not, uh, it was not, not efficient enough um, to onboard the masses. So we ended up, you know, cleaning out to basically just, uh, just an asset protocol and waiting around until we felt it was the right time to scale up general purpose computing. And uh, that happened last year. You know, we just basically just been thinking about our modular tech stack from, from 2019 on. And rollups are really are just coming to life for us right now that we'll kind of complete our modular framework. Uh, but as a background, you know, computer science and image processing and developing some games and already kind of the client server type of things that what you have to be to to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, I was already kind of doing all of that and it was a, a natural fit kind of, I came more from the philosophical side rather than trying to make a bunch of money. It was more about this is the sort of thing that is going to change the world or it's going to evolve naturally towards this sort of thing anyways when you have computers becoming strong enough and you have something like hash cash which solves the the problem of transforming 
physical work into a digital representation, the next logical step is to create some sort of monetary representation that has a, a tokenomics model where it's deflating over time kind of gives you a feel of digital gold at that point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so take me back to what year approximately would you say you first kind of found cryptocurrency? Early on, started reading, getting involved in the code base of Bitcoin. Then Syscoin kind of came to life around 2014. Prior to that, there was a little bit of work on DevCoin, which was, I think, the second or third coin. And that was... Um, there was some tinkering going on around creative commons and paying people to write or do some sort of art and they get paid based on bounties. But that, that list to pay out was essentially voted in by stewards that were guarding the quality of work. And so there was some cool innovations there, but obviously it wasn't going to be the, the end product and there was a little bit too, too much inflation. That was a natural migration into something like SIS, which was an open box where we can try these ideas in a more scalable, friendly way without a big community saying, you know, you know it's decentralized, we can't change it, it is what it is. Uh, we had the possibility to try try new new concepts and that's what I liked about it the most. You know, try, you know being imaginative and trying new innovative ways to extend the utility of bitcoin that's great thank you for the great details there and obviously you know syscoin part of the reason i wanted to bring you guys on is to just simply share everything that i possibly can about your project and um, the things you guys are achieving it seems to be an underrated project to me however that's not financial advice for everyone listening. I also see the value here and so some of the things I wanted to talk about is merge mining and how does that work? Yeah so our security model is based on uh, Bitcoin so our, our code is we, we merge it daily. We've done so for years. We even had bug fixes and stuff pushed back upstream but we keep aligned with the Bitcoin stack and so our our base layer, the, we call it the UTXO layer, is based on Bitcoins. So everything we do is based on the the, um, the testing, the unit testing, the functional testing, uh, continuous integration and all that stuff that keeps the code pure and safe uh, and well covered from a testing perspective is based on Bitcoin. And merge mining is a concept on the back end where miners mining Bitcoin can also mine other chains using that same work. So uh, how Bitcoin mining works is a, something called a nonce, and it's a variable that goes up with numbers uh, going up. And you, by, by the fact that it's going up, it's, a, it's also hashed into the block, and the block changes hash every time the nonce goes up. The target for a block is set but based on what the difficulty of the block is and basically how many zeros in front of the hash. You just have to try hashing so many times to be able to effectively achieve the target. And so that same nonce that you've applied to Bitcoin, uh, you can also take that solution and apply it to a child chain. And the child chain's difficulty target is not the hash of the child chain, which never it's never going to solve both at the same time. But it's the, the Bitcoin solution for the proof of work is packaged up and put into Syscoin. And Syscoin will check, check that. It will check that the parent chain's uh, difficulty target has been reached and therefore 
you know, the Bitcoin solution uh, has been found. And so therefore, Syscoin's uh, block solution is also valid. Uh, so Bitcoin is the consensus of Bitcoin has no awareness of any merge mining, uh, but the miners do. And so the miners are mining multiple uh, merge mine chains. Probably, I would think we are probably the primary merge mine chain at this point on the innovation front. Um, so we essentially provide that extra value back to the Bitcoin miners through subsidy. And they in turn provide the Bitcoin style security back to us. It's not Bitcoin consensus security. You know, it's not actually Bitcoin blocks that are securing us, but it's just the back and just purposefully just the miners that are involved here. Interesting. So is that, now get me if I'm wrong, is that a good way to essentially provide a stable network for doing things such as the EVM layer or layer two? Yeah, I think it definitely is because... I mean, I think the proof of work provides a resilient, inflation-resistant source of security that is unmatched. Even going into quantum and a ZK everything-based roadmap, I think it's still, you're going to need some sort of consensus. Uh, even with ZK, you need consensus. Like if you look at some of these blockchains that are doing ZK everything, like Mina Protocol uh, is one of them. That's just one base layer that's, it's it's a succinct blockchain, you know, it's a the zero knowledge proof proves the previous block and also proves the current block and therefore if you're syncing to that blockchain you only need the you only need to download a few blocks. Uh, but you still need consensus outside of that to know that the ordering of events inside those blocks were correct before they're proven in ZK. And that ordering and that consensus around that block being formed itself needs either proof of work or proof of stake. And I would posit that there is nothing more secure than that proof of work. And if you take that away, then whatever you're doing on top, whether it be ZK or just custom regular consensus like Bitcoin, is also not as secure. Um, and so, yeah, you, you kind of have the push and the pull. You know, it's on one hand, you're attaching yourself to Bitcoin miners who may or may not care about the child chain. They just care about Bitcoin. But over time, hopefully they will care because you start stacking this coin. You're, you're, you're putting it in their pockets. They may be giving it to the customers as well, but you're distributing it to the Bitcoin miners either way. Strongest source of uh, a distribution uh, aside from just airdropping it. They actually have to do the work to get it. And on the other hand, we're, we're getting that security so that the EVM is now uh, the most secure EVM out there because in order to attack that, you'd have to go and try to compete with Bitcoin miners themselves, which will cost a lot of money. At the same time, with really no benefits, they wouldn't really get too many benefits for attacking. The 51% attack essentially is just a censorship attack, right? Like, I just don't want certain transactions to go on the blockchain. Therefore, I will keep majority hash or try to push majority hash to keep transactions from coming into this blockchain. Now, on the flip side, you have master nodes, correct? Mm -hmm. And so with the mining and the master nodes yeah the master nodes are typically like if they came from the dash pay system but those uh very different the the purpose of our master nodes are very different um than we think they got it we we don't think they got it right i think the idea was great but they didn't execute properly they are using it for uh, fast transactions through instant send they're also doing using it for privacy through mixing a decentralized mixing which is 
not all that not all that private. Uh, I think zk based would be the, the the way to go. And then they were you know applying it to solve all sorts of layer one problems instead of thinking about it at, rightfully as you know it's it's more paying nodes to run full right full node security creating that what we call Nakamoto coefficient which is in the in, in security of distributed systems every time you have a new source which can guarantee the security of the network because it runs locally and it can reproduce the the whole network and you can sync up to it that it increases the Nakamoto coefficient by one and so in Ethereum I think the number probably is like 15 to 20 and so there's 15, or, well, this is before proof of stake, but 15 or 20 different service providers or different node types or nodes out there, like archiving nodes and whatnot, that you need to take down to try to censor that system. Every time you run a full node, you're actually running a whole blockchain in that node, right? Because it's a full node. If you pay for that, you know, through subsidy of the network, where part of the block rewards go to the miners, but they also, some of them go to the next next person who's being paid out their master nodes. It creates, uh, it creates a cycle of, uh, of, of full node security that creates inherent security through the entire network. So the miner is trying to do funny stuff. Because we have full nodes that are paid to run, you don't have a situation where the blockchain outgrows the ability for people to run computers to sync up to this thing where they lose, they lose interest in it because they'll think someone else will run the full node, not me. I don't want to, I don't want to have my whole hard drive filled up with this stuff. So I'll just turn this off after I'm done my transaction because I don't care. Like the typical BitTorrent philosophy, right? You leech and then you, you're, you're gone when you download your file. That's a big problem. And so Bitcoin is altruistic in that way. They hope that someone's going to keep running. In our situation, we're using the mastermind concept to to do two things: run full nodes to increase the Nakamoto coefficient, so every single node becomes its own blockchain. So if you try to attack that system, you'd have to attack all of the master nodes to to remove the ability for these nodes to run, and therefore try to take down the network. Very very hard. And then the second thing is finality. There's specifically with uh, merge mining. There, there are bootstrapping problems because Bitcoin miners may or may not care for these other chains. Since these Bitcoin miners are, there's only a few pools uh, that are centralizing in that amount of power, the pools themselves can try to screw around and censor you, right? Censor your blockchain. Um, so Luke Dash Jr. back in 2014 or 2013 tried this with a project called CoiledCoin, and they, uh, he, he was basically proving to himself, he thought, merge mining uh, sucks. So let me try to find a new merge mine coin and totally censor them with my pool. He was running one of the biggest pools at the time. Uh, and he was censoring the blockchain to try to kill it, to show that it doesn't work. It's just by censoring all transactions, not possible to get any transactions through. He was just mining empty blocks. And he was trying to prove that because he could do that. He didn't have all of the hash rate but he had a large percentage of it. Uh, if, if we had finality built into that system, then those transactions inevitably would end up going through because uh, you'd have to control all of the hash rate to censor otherwise, um, and you're not gonna control all of it. There's always gonna be some percentage of someone else. So if you own 90% of the hash rate, then your transaction will just take 10 extra blocks to get in statistically, and it will get in. 
Um, so you would you would remove that that problem, and so that's what we thought about was solving some specific uh, problems because we introduced finality. We have these full nodes that are running; they're guarding the network, they're increasing the Nakamoto coefficient. Why not leverage them to vote on what the blockchain looks like at any given time, and kind of like it's like a checkpointing system. After that moment, the blockchain can't roll back; it's final after that. And so we have like an interesting strategy to lock the blockchain to avoid selfish mining and then that ties into our um, pruning concept for data availability which we'll get into later i would simply argue that syscoin has if not the most one of the most secure networks out there as far as cryptocurrencies go mm -hmm. and so i feel like that's a an attraction you know for DeFi or nft marketplaces etc have you guys worked already or have any projects building nft or DeFi? yeah i mean like there was never any capability like we saw uh, nfts come alive with the evm with ethereum and it really it, the evm really became the de facto standard to build touring complete uh, stuff like it was never possible with bitcoin script and it just was too clunky with uh, other things uh, someone tried to do JavaScript-based smart contracts. There was a whole bunch of bugs and problems. Well, the EVM got it right, and so the world caught on to that. So I feel like not only is Bitcoin security kind of like a, a gold standard for security, but the EVM is really Vitalik's contribution to the world is, 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 that, is that EVM model that, he, that everyone thinks of as gold standard. And so we didn't have the possibility to get these people building, but then we launched the EVM in 2020, uh, in December, right before 2021, and we started to get these things. We built the first DEX, which is Pegasus, and then we built the first NFT marketplace, which is Luxie. It's like our OpenSea. Uh, but again, the adoption of that is not going to take place until you get fast, cheap, you know, scalable transactions where everyone in the world can jump on this thing without the fee market going crazy. So since then we focused, okay, now we've got the base layer kind of there. We don't expect the TVL of this thing to jump to billions overnight. So let's figure out how we're going to do fast transactions now and how we're going to do scalable transactions. Uh, so that's where the modularity component of the EVM comes in, like the roll-up driven roadmap that Ethereum is subscribed to as well. So that's where we're at now. But up to this moment, we've been iteratively slowly but surely building up to this uh, EVM component of our blockchain. Subsequently now, thinking about modularity, ultimately getting into the ZK world, but you know where we're at right now is thinking about data availability plus, plus roll-ups. Likely optimistic because the overhead of ZK is just too high right now, so we think optimistic roll-ups is going to be the most scalable way to bring people on chain and do DEXs and and TradFi and GameFi and Metaverse stuff. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it seems to me like using the EVM and the merge mining as well as masternodes that you guys have put a ton of thought into creating something truly scalable and secure for users and investors alike. Also, you know, with NFTs, you can add artists and creators. Yeah, I mean, anything that you see in Ethereum is all possible obviously it's it's an evm but you we, we disincentivize people to use layer one the blocks are two and a half minutes there's only eight million gas per block and although that's dynamic but it's not conducive to everyday transaction your mom and pops 
should not be sitting there transacting on layer one on a daily basis. It's okay once in a while, it has a capability, but you'll be, it's, it doesn't have that user convenience factor. And you build that kind of on the, on the secondary layers, which is what we're doing. So essentially, when it comes to blockchain, the complications of the normal user is what you're saying, mm-hmm. is not going to be using right. the layer one core wallets and features of a, of a coin. And so those layer twos or layer three solutions and websites, so to say, is kind of the future with adoption. And I do agree that that's probably the case. So how would you guys tackle things like audibility and compliance, especially with things like FTX and DeFi rug pulls going on? Yeah, I think the compliance is a major a major factor. We, when we spoke to regulators, it was always about making things custody-free. So it, if it has any sort of custody, it's not a real solution. It probably should plug into a public blockchain such as Ethereum or Bitcoin for the, the, the aspect of security to settle on. And so we thought, okay, you know, we had a UTXO layer which had the notary feature and we could do notarized transactions for, for P2P payments, uh, which is great. I think for something for like CDBCs or P2P, massive scale P2P use cases uh, for, for global payments, it, it would serve as a nice solution uh, for compliance and regulated payments. But what about smart contracts? We arrived to uh, a direction using roll-ups, you know, think about uh, a roll-up that has a permission whitelist backend. That would serve as a custody-free way uh, because if you want to use that system, you'd have to comply, you know, be whatever jurisdiction you're in, whatever type of asset you're in, whatever type of action you're trying to do. Is it is it like a private debt market? Is it security tokens of some sort? Is it a stable coin or is it just enterprise-driven regulated DeFi that just needs to be in a sandbox, that all could be solved in a custody-free way as a roll-up. And if you don't believe or want to use that, simply just don't use it or exit. So it doesn't matter on what Syscoin Layer 1 is doing. It's completely independent. It's item potent to that design. It is not is not thinking about compliance, but you build those on top as kind of like Lego blocks so here you have your regulated stable coin or regulated enterprise-driven DeFi EVM sort of solution and offer that option to the world and let them use it. But the gas cost of Syscoin is not really reflective too much in, in, in that solution. It's You can do millions and millions of transactions and Syscoin layer one has no awareness of them. Right? It's, the users of Syscoin are not hit on the fees based on what's happening on those ancillary systems externally. Right. That's good stuff. So a nice way to put it is instead of, you know, tackling or waiting for, you know, regulations, why not build and self-regulate along the way? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you need to be flexible. You can't start coding in rules because we don't know what the rules are, but you need to create really black box, flexible systems that remain custody free, that settle on public permissionless blockchains, yet at the same time offer that whole market. Like, you know, even Larry Fink, BlackRock CEO, is saying that the next big market, you know, bigger than anything out there right now, is tokenizing assets and tokenizing securities. You know, in our analysis, it's, it's a 
multiple hundreds of trillions of dollars uh, within 10 years. It's it's not even about the market size. It's about the disruptive nature and the size of disruption it's going to represent by moving all these assets away from centralized book bookmakers and papers and certificates to digital representations and then opening the doors to if I if I have a security like I own some stock and I want to barter with that I should be able to do that you know I can send that to you to buy groceries if I want absolutely yeah I've been thinking about tokenization like that for a long time and also like nft shelf items and you know, paying with the QR code at checkout, you know, the future is going to be bright with things like this. And I do see the good use cases of, for example, tokenizing stocks. I would argue that cryptocurrency is more transparent in a lot of aspects to supply and how much of that stock's actually going around at any given time. So these are all good things that I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. With the decentralized finance side of things and Centrify, do you guys have any plans to build out any central finance things or continue building DeFi things? How's the future looking for that stuff? Yeah, mostly our plan is, is thinking that central finance will, at most, they'll become um, insurance agents or banks. And uh, most of the actual transacting amongst users anytime a user wants to do an action most likely will be on decentral finance decentralized so it'll be either on a layer two or a layer three somewhere settling on a public permissionless blockchain and completely you know self uh, self custody self audited but completely um, safe and uh, protected from hackers and double spend protection and all that stuff so Thinking about TradFi and perpetual trading dexes and stuff is something we're interested in right now. Uh, scaling that up is interesting. I think it, it won't really scale up, uh, you know, thinking about quant trading and um, sub-millisecond response times. I think that will start to scale up more as we get into layer threes. You know, once you have the layer twos, they're decentralized. But we are going to be tinkering with a few on layer twos as well and having the option for traders who may or may not care. They don't. They just take the thing for granted, thinking there's a Safu fund there, but really there's no no one really covering them. And so, if they want to take that option and have those experiences and still trade, uh, they should be able to in in a, in a decentralized way as well, uh, without hitting being hit with crazy amount of fees. So that's our take: is not only just DeFi, but just what we're calling TradFi is coming up as well. Um, we've theorized that the essential exchange is going to go away long for a long time, but um, the FTX thing might have just pushed it over. And I think uh, there's a lot of interest in moving assets away from uh, centralized books to decentralized books. Yeah, and, and with the argument of self-custody becoming such a topic these days, and it seems this happens every bear market that I've been in now, I do believe that central finance, like you said, will be around as banking services as it seems many that are around have to get some sort of banking license as it is to exist mm -hmm. to jump topics here how many wallets or what type of wallets does syscoin have to offer as far as core wallet or is there a web wallet or plug-in wallet yeah there's, there's a extension wallet so we're creating a called poly 
it's uh, it's like uh, it'll support Bitcoin and Bitcoin types like the UTXO chain for Syscoin as well as EVM EVM type networks so Ethereum mostly and uh, layer twos and layer threes and the Syscoin EVM so we covered kind of both bases there we're friendly to both sides on the tech stack so you know it'll be uh, an open source fully open source BIP32 compliant meaning HD wallets and stuff with Bitcoin there as well as Ethereum. We support both sides of the world. And of course, no no IP spoofing or, or tracking or anything like that. Since it's open source, it's also easy to install uh, if the app stores decide they don't they want you they want to censor you so we can make it easy for people to still install on their phones or on their browsers without have, without going through crazy amount of steps. Right. Absolutely it makes sense. And one thing I forgot to ask about was the DAO and how does the DAO work for Syscoin and is it something that will always continue to be or is that a theory? In other words, that DAOs do not work. Yeah, so our, our DAO is more, I mean, it's not uh, speculative based. It's more of a take on uh, treasury management. Some of our our engineers, they are uh, experts on the EVM to try to recreate uh, proper treasury management practices. So, you know, think about compartmentalizing risk when uh, lending and borrowing is involved in DeFi, using shared liquidity, but still keeping isolated risk. And our attempt with our DAO is it's not a typical DAO per se. There's no governance of decisioning between fi- where the pools of money go. It's you put your own position in, uh, you get like an LP pair, like a Uniswap, and you borrow and lend against that, and you can do whatever you want with that. You know, you, you want to fund something in real estate, you can go ahead, but most likely you'll be thinking for the ecosystem, right? Something that's going to build the ecosystem out, because that's, you know, that's the system that you're using to secure your assets. So it ends up creating a virtuous cycle of growth. It's almost like a global workforce a global economy where you can come and get a job lenders are there to lend to you because uh, they've isolated their risk there's no counterparty uh, doing the lending it's a smart contract and they technically since the their balances are all staking um, they're earning their money back and so uh, the risk is mainly just time value in that situation it's how long will it take for your you know, if you don't get your value back for your for your loan that you lend out to somebody, how long would it take back to recoup those funds? And so that time value is essentially your risk in case you lend to somebody that just doesn't do what they say. But you can always mitigate a lot of those risks. For example, if you want to get something done and it's a it's an engineering contract, you typically have an agile development process, so it takes two-week agile sprints and you don't have to give money up front so you can always you know pay as you go kind of thing and if the development trails off or goes out of budget or gets off track then you can always um, assume you stop and you've only lost two weeks of funds which you've you're going to recoup back through the DeFi churning of APY that's paying you back because your treasury is being staked in the DeFi protocol so it's it's a take that is not speculative Uh, there's no tokens per se. There's no DAO tokens. There's no tokenomics. It's more rethinking the treasury management aspect 
and then creating a lending borrowing aspect on top of that. And that treasury management is kind of like, it could be shared like Aave, Compound, these protocols definitely could just tap into it to create a more secure environment for their treasuries. And uh, on our protocol, at least as more people start using it, it becomes more secure and the Lego blocks are more secure. There's less issues around attacks on the treasury itself. The attacks will be more probably the superfluous uh, stuff on top around someone implementing bad governance or someone implementing, you know, bad key management or, or a key gets lost or hacked or something like that. People get access to the treasury that way. So I'm kind of blind to DAOs and how they really operate or work. How does one become a part of a DAO and how does it work or if you are a member of a DAO, what is your role, so to say, or is it just that everyone kind of has a contributing factor that is a part of it? It's a DAO because we felt like it's a, it's a distributed economy where anyone can get involved to build. It goes back to the roots of what a DAO really was with autonomous finance and what DAOs now are morphed into some sort of political voting system where there's money to be deployed and then people try to maximize how much how, how much saying or voting power they have kind of like as a staking system okay that makes a lot of sense because uh, yeah i am definitely in the in the ladder of understanding so i thank you for providing transparency there it's less of a you know that involves we didn't know how to solve those problems uh, and so it was uh, a, when compartmentalizing risk you typically have to either send people to be able to vote for what to fund for public good and the fact that you have a token out there it recreates the same problems you're trying to solve effectively uh, you end up getting a collusion and, and, and voter voter buyouts and stuff like that even with blind voting and things it's still not safe from any of that it's a people problem right um, so you get the fear and greed inclusion uh, when you create the speculative component that's unlocking value paid out to someone else and we took that away and we replaced it with well be just be your own bank you come in put capital in you're, you're earning roi on top but you're using that to lend and borrow out so if you're going to hold money in this uh, system anyways uh, maybe you're holding an lp position uh, sys to usdt you're just going to hold that anyways you might as well put it to work by uh, lending, borrowing against it, and uh, building something that's useful with it, and the money is um, over time. You end up gaining it all back, anyways, and possibly gain more value because whoever you lent it out to created value for you as well. Like it might have been some new token that they're creating for you for a new DeFi protocol, and you become uh, owner of that you know system that makes you more money. Um, than uh, would have if you didn't have this sort of mechanism to lend out. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine corporations and, you know, for example, let's just say Coca-Cola wants to get involved into a DAO for whatever purpose. Obviously, we can blockchain and crypto just about anything these days. I imagine that's what's going to happen a lot more of in the future is we're going to see bigger brands building onto crypto and as we've seen already. Yeah, you, you got to get rid of the tokens and tokenomics from public goods or public 
public build out of utility and stuff. Where tokens make sense, in my in my opinion, I think tokens are great for layer one gas. So you need you need the infrastructure to be paying gas to settle as a court system. And on the other side, there's social governance. So you have like FTT types of use cases. And by the way, the FTT business model was great, but it's just that the, the exchange itself didn't uh, let you audit to see what was going on. And so it kind of blew up. But if a smart contract system was taking profits in the hands of a company and the company turned around and bought a token as a buyback, that's a reason for existence and a good one. Uh, as long as that company's around, it could even be driven by smart contracts. So every time you know, you, you create that system in such a way where the token automatically buys back every time you are making, you know, you're creating profits in a DEX, uh, percentage of those fees goes to the holders of X token, and that's used to buy back that token itself on the books. So you don't necessarily need a company on top of that either. It could be automatically purchasing that every time percentage, percentage of the fee every time you use it goes towards the public good or the public uh, security because the the token value is increasing, increasing in value when you're helping with that. So the, the the token tokenomics of layer twos technically I think could be based on usage or you know incentives to use to increase security through TVL. On layer one, uh, it's it's got to be the use of the settlement or the court system itself, and outside of that, you know. There really is no reason to have a bunch of coins for no, for no reason, other than um, just in, incentives to use a system. But it has to be; it cannot be voting based, so you get access to unlock something else. But then you start to get collusion and, and all this stuff. So I think it'll end up being um, more streamlined, and, and everyone creating tokens for everything. It'll end up being create a token only when you need to, and then enterprises definitely will agree with that. And the rest of the time, you may end up just tokenizing existing securities or existing physical objects, NFTs type of things, to create loyalty or some sort of reward system or unlocking physical events and tying it back to the real world somehow. It's quite crazy, to be honest, because years ago when I got into crypto, I did not want anything to do with the token. I thought if it was a token, that uh, it was an ICO scam. Most and and ninety nine percent of it always was right. Yeah, and I would say ninety nine percent of the existing tokens and coins, even the gas coins, I would say are most likely scams. Like the, they they may not have um, started out with uh, it's essentially hidden veil of uh, developers stacking sats. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that that's kind of the image that's painted crypto and and has forced a lot of people to leave over the years i mean but it, it is what it is like you gotta think about the 100 or 200 or even 300 year picture that it won't matter you know what, what we're doing here is going to set the tone for something much bigger and we don't know how that looks like it's almost like when the white paper was published it was a singularity event because the world was never the same after that after the cat's out of the bag with this sort of idea the world starts to run with it and you can't you can try to intervene in the market as much as possible and try to set a peg and say, this system cannot work because the the, the people in power will throw you in jail and, and set, make an example out of you and this and that. Yeah. Because it's there's no barrier of entry, 
And again, it's decentralized. The Nakamoto coefficient is so high with Bitcoin, you can't kill it by killing a subnet on the net, on the internet. You can't kill it by censoring ISPs or even a combination of ISPs plus satellites. It still won't it won't really kill it as long as one person is running the software safe. Because you can't kill it, the cat becomes out of the bag, and it it's one of those things that has a viral effect almost like a fire even those that don't understand it they go into it from a different perspective like some people want to make money so they buy into the tokenomics some people buy into from the philosophical perspective or some people are builders they want to build on it to make money in other ways or uh, some people want to build cool stuff and it becomes possible with no barrier of entry like there's no one gating you there's no apple store to say the quality is good or isn't good you let the market dictate that yeah, that's one of the greatest things about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is the open source nature and non-patented aspect. You know, I think that that was done deliberately and by design. And here today we have this huge ecosystem of innovative ideas and economies and futuristic approaches. How do you guys think that CIS will fit into interplanetary economies and metaverse, smart cities? Is that something that is too far away to really dive into? Well, I think in, in general, we're, we're trying to create set the tone in terms of having a modular based, we think the art, state of the art for blockchains is to have a secure settlement court system, but then have a modular roadmap for scaling through just separate systems that are secured through layer one. And so the concepts of sub chains and all these side chain things are cool, but they as you scale those up, the security of the base layer degrades, right? Because there's more communication between the layers, there's assumptions, there's tokenomic tie-in, there's separate tokens sometimes. It doesn't really work unless it's all thinking about using the layer one as a court and everything stems off that like a tree. When you get into that sort of mindset, if you think of, uh, like think of a ZK roll-up, you are really kind of separate then. If I'm a user on ZK Rollup, I really won't even know that I'm using Ethereum or Syscoin. Now, what exactly is a ZK Rollup for us not-so-savvy? It's just basically like I can have a, I can have another blockchain that's, that, that users can come uh, using a bridge from, it's a built-in protocol bridge basically through smart contracts come from Ethereum or Syscoin, deposit into that, and I output I get as an IOU into this new system that's running and that's secured through that layer one, whether it be Syscoin or Ethereum. And as zero knowledge proofs, you can guarantee that transactions batched up are all secure. They don't have any double spends. And um, once they're batched up, you create a proof on that using mathematical analysis to create a small proof that's verifiable using layer one and doing so you end up having like a state machine you know every every few hours or minutes or whatever you're getting new states put into layer one that's locking that roll up into um, preceding individual states or you know think of like bitcoin having a 10 minute block in a roll up like on ethereum or syscoin you will have the same sort of thing but those blocks will be zero knowledge proofs put onto the base layer to say okay here's a layer two block that's settled and final can't change anymore 
Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, and then layer two is is completely isolated with no communication to Syscoin or anything like that, aside from a push into here's my block on layer two of done a zero knowledge proof. I've proven one million transactions, but the proof size is still a few bytes, a few hundred bytes, and the time to verify that is still milliseconds. I throw that into Syscoin. Syscoin says, okay, this is block 1 million and one, locking it um, because the smart contract validates the ZK proof and it's it's guaranteed to be valid. Um, now, whatever happens on the roll-up, whether it be smart contracts or P2P transfers or anything custom even, is completely independent. When you make things independent and they don't necessarily depend on each other too much, you're, you're really removing, in blockchain, there's such a, crucial tie-in to the time element. If you're removing these systems separately, there is no time component between those two. Really, I'm a roll-up, I can settle on Syscoin uh, independently every hour if I want, every four hours if I want. But the slower you go, obviously the longer it will take for you to be able to enter and exit that system. So if I only settle on uh, Syscoin every four hours, then if I ever wanted to exit that system, I have to wait four hours because the next time it touches the base layer will be next four hours, and that's when I will be able to take my value off. And so there's that trade-off there, but there's no hard and fast guarantee that it needs to be within 10 minutes or 100 minutes or an hour or a day even. Um, because you've removed the dependence of time and you're thinking about, you know, your Syscoin nodes can be running in one part of the world and your layer two or your ZK roll can be running in another part of the world and there's no inter interdependence of time, you end up uh, solving a crucial problem of dependency and uh, frankly complexity. Because if you start to relate time with each other on these systems, that's when you get these attack vectors like the Solana blockchain kept shutting down because the validators couldn't agree on the ordering or the timeliness on the ordering of transactions and they locked you know, one says this one's supposed to be earlier and the other says the other transaction's supposed to be earlier. They both kind of agree, therefore they kind of hit a deadlock. If you remove that element of time, you, you kind of solve that problem. And extrapolating, you know, all the way up further and you think about interplanetary, ultimately we're going to need to extract resources and actually push population somewhere else after we outgrow. How, how will you do finance? You're not going to recreate Visa MasterCard on those. Once you're on Mars, for example, or you're in a space station, you're going to need to transact. Uh, as long as there's people, everyday people being sent that way, there needs to be barter, needs to be some sort of way for people to exchange value. If you remove the element of time, you start to get into that situation where it becomes possible because um, there is that latency barrier of the farther, the more distances you go between these layers, um, the more typically, the harder it would get because you would need to somehow coordinate. But if you don't need that coordination, you, you sever that and you just say, okay, that, you know, in Mars or whatever other planet, you could be running your own roll-up and uh, settling independently uh, however fast you need. We know there's a 10 or 15 minute latency round trip between uh, Mars and Earth, but it doesn't wouldn't really matter in our case. It would um, it would just be more of a nuisance to be able to enter and exit rather than a security or attack vector. I can't remember right, but I believe time is longer when you're in space. So our Earth minutes would not be the same 
as space minutes or Mars minutes. In other words, the days may be longer. Yeah. So that would be interesting how the blockchain, you know, will signal transactions. Well, it's probably like how fast you're going. Yeah. I mean, in, in the theory of relativity, so if you're moving fast, then in theory, relative to someone else, you might be slower. But it, you need, if you need to solve that dependence on time, otherwise none of these systems will be possible. There's just no way you can have enough gadgetry to sync up when the latency gets so large. Even on Earth, if you have one node sitting on one of the under the world and it has to cross the transatlantic link to communicate with another uh, through TCP, there's round trip, ends up taking hundreds of milliseconds. That in itself, if, if you're dependent on that, is going to cause your systems to break um, or at least go really slow to support uh, having to be able to communicate across the world. If you remove that element, you can completely make that independent and they can run on their own, you know, their own time clocks and not worry about each other. That's great. Thanks for taking that leap over there with me into the interplanetary economies. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I don't have too many more questions for you, but something I was curious on and I kind of skipped over was tokenomics of Syscoin and how many Syscoin do you have to collateralize for a masternode? Mm -hmm. What's the circulating supply, max supply, all those juicy details that some of us like? Yeah, we, we didn't cover like how, starting from Bitcoin, you know, how many coins are given out and to the miners, why would they mine this thing? And how is that inflation playing out? One thing we, uh, we, we tried to do is, we, tr you know, we, we don't want to be parasitic to Bitcoin. And one way to be parasitic would be, okay, let's create a hard cap supply that every few years the supply goes down by half. Because then you have to give the market the ultimatum that either you believe in us or you believe in them, right? You don't want to be parasitic that way to create an ultimatum. Every, every coin that has a hard cap and has a deflationary schedule is ultimately trying to compete against Bitcoin, right? Right. It's trying to compete as, please mine or stake me because I will be the ultimate currency and everything else will be in relation to me, right? Because if you have, um, you know, only a certain amount of supply and you assume that the demand will go up, then in relation to everything else, your demand and supply will take you uh, uh, through an infinite um, price equilibrium where there will be a demand at whatever cost to, in relation to something else. That's the that's the Bitcoin play, right? The that everyone will be using that to settle their digital gold and holding their wealth. Yet um, there will always be demand because in relation to everything else, there will be no other strategy to do anything other than stack Sats or make energy to create Bitcoin. In order for us to think about utility, though, not just the wealth preservation story, but utility, you need a way to expand dynamically to support uh, new devices coming in or new people, new people born into this world future. It can't be a cap supply. It needs to be based on how much the system is used or some sort of a curve based on what you anticipate the amount of people coming in. So the sys supply is infinite, in other words? It's, it's tracking dynamically based on around a max of about 1.25%. And that's tracking uh, just based on how we think like the population curve is about 1% and falling. In relation to it, itself, 
the percent is always going to keep going down, is tending towards zero, but it'll never actually achieve zero, right? It'll always end up being less and less and less, but never zero um, with the, the idea uh, in EIP 1559 that you will have burning, it actually will go negative sometimes as well, because if, uh, if a lot of people are using the base layer, the more coins are burnt because of EIP 1559. So you may have situations where your supply is, uh, going, is, is deflationary for long periods of time. And I would call those, just like how in the economy you have booms and busts, in the boom years when you're trying to reduce uh, inflation or you're, uh, you're trying to, say, reduce the inf uh, interest rate, your interest rates are going up because you're having a big boom, um, effectively that becomes a deflationary event because interest rates are going up, uh, money gets harder to come by, and the cost of goods uh, starts to go up in relation to how much you have. And so your purchasing power goes down. In the same way, you, in this situation where you're deflationary, you know, more people are being burning coins because they're using the system, it's overheating, you have a deflationary spiral where coins start to get burnt and then you end up uh, weathering that storm over time because the prices of the gas prices are, are too high people stop using the system and you go into a depressionary cycle where no one's using the system and that's where it goes back into inflationary it caps out like at one or 1.25 whatever percent right now and so you, i imagine it similar to the ebbs and flows of the economic environment of booms and busts and it's tracking inflation and deflation in the same way with a base of one, around 1%. This, this is expanding right now. That's great. I feel like myself that's a good target rate for uh, longevity and also, you know, as more coins are minted, it creates a, a more of a mission so that 1% today, you know, if it's still 1% in 20 years from now, the actual supply being minted would be greater. So what does it take to collateralize a masternode on SIS? Yeah, so masternodes are 100,000 SIS coin, and um, the network needs a bunch of them. It doesn't need too many of them. Uh, it's not one of those things where, you know, it'd be great to have a million. It doesn't really make sense to have a million. You know, as long as the Nakamoto coefficient is big enough to prevent uh, censorship or systemic-wide attacks, uh, it needs to have enough propagation around the world. So thousands or tens of thousands is good enough for that type of security that you need. Probabilistically, no one's going to be able to censor a network of random 1,000 uh, nodes around the world or 10,000 nodes around the world. And uh, the, the inflation there actually is static. So uh, it's deflationary up to a point um, on, the, on the master node where you will not have to worry about your coins or your ROI ending up at zero, you will always be paid something because you're running a service. So your deflation ends up stopping at a small nominal amount. Um, and it, it's, you know, it's part of the whole 1% thing, but it ends up being a really small amount, but at some point it will stop deflating. Right now, every, I think, year you get 30% less. Um, you, you get deflated, but at some point it will stop. And uh, the idea is that you can run a masternode long term and you always you won't get into a situation where you're only relying on fees. That's great. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I actually am a big masternode fan myself, kind of 
one of the things that got me deep into the crypto rabbit hole um, early on was staking and you know things have kind of transcended into token staking farming pooling and lending which uh, is dominantly more of the like you say the people that are interested for just the gains rather than the innovative side of the tech so that is something great to be able to talk to somebody that is so involved with developing and creating potentially the future for our kiddos. Yeah. Well, the, da- the Dash master nodes that were originally the father of master nodes, they, they don't have a notion of it's purely deflationary. And so, again, they're trying to compete with Bitcoin. And it's more like, you know, once your master node and it deflates to zero, what is the what is the value of running a master node? It'll be just fees, right? Your ROI will be fees. And then the question is, what is the utility of your network? And they're, what they're trying to do is they're pushing everything to layer one. Um, and it doesn't make sense because they won't scale, right? You, you hit a bottleneck and people will lose interest in a system like that. just doesn't scale. It will work for maybe a small city. And then you try to scale up to a country and it just bogs down. Um, so it just you need to think about modularity. You need to actually think about ways to stop people from using that base layer, to stop using that gas, and to make a competitive fee market. Because you have to think about the efficiency of the fee market instead, um, and think about okay, if everyone in the world is using the system, how can that fee market survive that situation without it being bogged down and with nodes becoming prohibitive, prohibitively expensive to run and for people to not be able to audit the chain because it's too big now, you know that's that was always the things that you know Vitalik and Ethereum were thinking about <laughs> at the same time having gigabytes and gigabytes being added to their blocks every day. Um, still, it's still the plan with Ethereum and, and going towards like a, a zk based everything roadmap. But I think we've got the ideal structure here uh, and the ideal incentives to. To, to really go after this problem in a unique way, uh, one a, a way that hasn't been targeted by anyone else, and so that's our take and it's our niche for how we think the, the future may unfold. That's great. Thank you. I guess my last question for you today would be, where do we find out more about SIS, and um, how can we follow you on Twitter? Is that a good place to follow you? Yeah, uh, well, I'm on Twitter, Discord, and, and Telegram. Syscoin uh, website is syscoin.org. Um, my telegram is at real real uh, sidu jag so s i d h u j a g, uh, and uh, Discord and Telegram always there on the official channels. Uh, we're always around to chat with people just interested in the space and want to learn more, want to get involved. We have our own ambassador groups and philanthropy happening through there. So just giving back to people, doing good things, and finding ways to help others and you know, hurricanes and typhoons and being around for people, um, families that need help with, uh, you know, uh, their homes are uh, devastated by certain incidences. We have to step in and help out where we can as, as being responsible um, people uh, to have the capability to help. We should be there. So ambassadors are, are welcome as well. If you just want to help make the better uh, world a better place, uh, that's what kind of what we, we stand for. And that's all mostly on Telegram. Um, and then if you're a developer, obviously Discord would be a good place to connect with us to see uh, our, our design philosophies, how we can get involved. 
so I guess that will do it for today and thank you Jag for hopping on and giving me the time of the day to fit in your schedule I know you're a pretty busy guy I'm sure everyone will appreciate being able to hear a little bit of the insiders from Syscoin and I do wish Syscoin the best so thanks again no problem that will be all for Verify Crypto Episode 1 this episode is sponsored by StakeCube trade, earn, build StakeCube is an all-in-one crypto ecosystem equipped with an exchange, NFT marketplace, staking, and more. Join the future of finance while earning competitive APYs through multiple strategies across a wide range of crypto assets. With safety and efficiency in mind at StakeCube.net. Verify Crypto is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Information shared from the host or guests featured in this recording should not be viewed as investment or financial advice. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are considered as risky and speculative investments. If you're seeking investment or financial advice, find a licensed and professional financial advisor. Mm -hmm.